Well, anybody ready to go into God's Word this morning? Come on. We got, we got something good uh, to talk about, and that is God's Word. Uh, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We are finishing up this series called We Are the Body. Uh, look, at, look at your neighbor and tell them, you are the body of Christ. All right. Are you believing it yet? Are you... Uh-uh, look at her again. Look at him again and say it. You are the body of Christ. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean, you are the body of Christ? Let me just, let me just awaken you to the reality of really what that means. How many of you would understand that Jesus was the most effective leader of all human history? He changed the world having never lifted a sword, never, never having an army. He changed the planet 2,000 years later. Two billion people call on his name on this planet. Jesus was very effective as a leader. He changes the world. I just want you to look at your neighbor again and say, and you are the body of Christ. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That means that I am actually going to be effective in my influence. I am actually going to bring about change, and I'm not going to have to force it with a sword or a gun or restrictions on my kids. Well, you might have to do that. <laughs> what I want you to see is what God has been saying all along to us here at Calvary Church. God is moving us from an observational church to an influential kingdom. Do you feel the movement of God? Do you feel and sense that this hour, that it, it requires something different. It requires something more than just going to church and getting good knowledge and going home and living uh, virtually unchanged. We must have something more. And once we understand the greatness and the, and the brilliance that God set us in a body and, and we get the revelation that we as a body are called to have this tremendous influence and how it happens and how we grow in our giftings and how we step into our assignments, then we truly move from just being people who hear good messages who are pointed in good behavioral directions to people who will influence the world for Jesus Christ. By the way, Christianity is not behavioral modification. It is not. Parents, listen to me. Don't bring your kids to church, not this one, if you just want them to be good kids. You bring them to this church, you start looking for godly kids who start to look like God and talk like God, who go to your DVD cabinet and say, you, mom and dad, need to repent. Shut the front door. <laughs> all right. Come on. See, we believe that all of us have a calling in God and a grace uh, from God to do something for the kingdom of God. You see, Romans chapter 12, verse 4 and 5 says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, then the, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, 
and each member belongs to all the others. Each member belongs to all the others. Now, each one of us do not have the same function. We talked about that. We are one. That was the first week. We are one, but not the same. We are the same, and we are one. Both are true. We are the same, and we are one, and we are actually not the same, and we are one. What What does that mean? We all have a part to play, each of us unique. And here's the picture. We belong to one another. Let me say it to you another way. I belong to you. And I am strengthened and in spiritual health because you belong to me. When you are living as God has called you to live, then I am strengthened. And when I am giving of the grace that is upon my life, then you too should be strengthened. Why? Because we belong to one another. I want us to totally abandon the thought and confront the idea that as long as what I do doesn't hurt anybody else, then I'm okay doing it. That is nonsense. We ought to get a conviction in our heart that we ought to live holy and separated and consecrated to God. Why? Because I need to function as God has created me to function so somebody else will be built up because I belong to them, not just to myself. So the way that I live, how much I give to Jesus, how much I love Jesus, how much I serve Jesus, how much I I allow his grace to flow through me as God has designed it to flow, then has a dramatic impact on the people around me. If you are in the body of Christ and you have a gift to give, never ever diminish your own gift. It may be different. Don't say, oh man, I'm a foot, and I think I've got a fungus. <laughs> but that person's a mouth, and because I'm not a mouth, I'm not a part of the body. No, you have a function to play. Matter of fact, let me tell you how important it is. 1 Corinthians 12, it says, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Let me just tell you, it pleased him to fashion you the way he has fashioned you, to gift you the way he has gifted you, to grace you the way he has graced you. But you need to understand that your function is important because you read the next verse and then what you find out is that, and if we were all one member, this is 1 Corinthians 12, 18 and 19, and if If they were all one member, where would the body be? Do you understand that you being who God has created you actually moves the body of Christ into her destiny? It's not who would she be. Like, how would she be known? It is, where would she be? You see, the body of Christ was always meant to have a direction on this planet. And that is to go forth and to win for the lamb the reward of his suffering. That we would be out sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and seeing many come to Christ and to be changed. It is not, and that, that doesn't happen in its fullness while some function as God has created them to function and others just simply take notes. All of us, belong to one another and all of us are called to function 
as God has created us to function. However, I do want to bring one final thing uh, to bear in this series. Us serving in ministry and doing ministry and being a part of the ministry of the church and being an active believer is not just a function of your decision. Just you saying yes. You saying yes to functioning in the body of Christ is important. It's very important. Your yes matters. But let me tell you something that matters more. It is the powerhouse of the body. The powerhouse of the body of Christ matters more. You say, what is the powerhouse of the body? What is this, this, this driving force of the body of Christ? What is the fuel? What, what is it that actually gets each one of us moving and functioning as, as God has graced us? It's very simple. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And let me just, just give you the summation of this whole thing. The body of Christ will not fulfill her destiny apart from the working and the power of the Holy Spirit in evidence in the last hour. We need a move of God's Spirit in us, the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the powerhouse of the body. I was, uh, uh, I was uh, as I was preparing uh, my daughter, who's in 11th grade, um, I said, I want to ask you a question. You had biology last year. She says, yes, I didn't do well. I said, all right, well, I'm going to ask you a question. Come straight from your biology class. I'm going to ask you. Let's see if you know this. I said, what is the powerhouse of the cell? And I said it just like that. And before I could even get it out of my mouth, a word which I'm sure she has not spoken in over a year come flying up out of her mouth. The mitochondria. The mitochondria is the, is the powerhouse of the cell. I said, what does that mean? She says, it powers the cell? <laughs> I said, yes, it does. I said, but within a cell, I said, what the mitochondria does, I said, it takes a source and it literally translates it into fuel. Right now, your mitochondria's or taking turkey <laughs> and breaking it down to make it fuel. Now, as a result of it getting the proper amount of fuel, some of those cells have boosted immunity. That means there will be things that come along that just don't affect it. Why? Because it took the source, translated it, and strengthened the cell so that it became immune from the outside influence. Let me walk some of you through this. The Holy Spirit 
is the one who comes and translates the word of God. And, and he translates it for us and we take it in and the Holy Spirit turns it in to the fuel that leads us in to our callings and walks us into fulfillment and walks us into the reason. The Holy Spirit is the powerhouse of the church, the body of Christ. And should we neglect him, we will find ourselves in a location he never intended. He's the powerhouse of the body. Now I want to read something to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, before I do this, um, many times when we read these chapters, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, we read them mechanically. We read them uh, studiously. It is right to do so, to break them down, to look at them, to investigate them, to break them apart, to, to look at them so carefully. However, I want to draw to your attention that while we are about to read about what the Holy Spirit does, I don't want you to see it in such a mechanical way. I want you to see it in a relational way. Here's why. Because what we are about to read, even though it lists the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. It is followed by some of the deepest revelation about the body. Those two ideas are married together, followed by 1 Corinthians 13, which is all about love, which is the culture of the body. Followed by 1 Corinthians 14, which is the culture of love and the order in which these things need to happen and what the result is. So I don't want you to just look at them mechanically. I want you to look at them in a little more holistic way, in a way that you would see that this is about nurturing us. So let's read this together, perhaps in a new light, and I want to show you what the Holy Spirit showed me about these passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says this, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant. Listen, ignorant is not an insult. It just means you don't know. God doesn't want you to be in the dark when it comes to what the powerhouse of the body does. Okay? He says, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work, by the way. In verse 4, 5, and 6, you see the Trinity. Holy Spirit, Jesus, and the Father. All involved in gifting and equipping the body of Christ. And you're about to see why. Verse 7. This is the part that you need to get in your spirit. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. If you can, you need to highlight those two words. We're going to look at those. Uh, in, in just a little bit. It's given for our good. Uh, some translations say for the profit of all. Okay? 
To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom or a word of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. Still to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now... There's a lot there. There's nine gifts of the Spirit. And like I said, we tend to look at these things mechanically. And we, tr- we, we sometimes strip away from the Scripture the overall, uh, the, the overall atmosphere in which the Scriptures are written. If you would continue to read, you would see all of the instruction about the body. Why does all the instruction about the body? Because all of these scriptures apply to the body of Christ. Now, it is, it is really neat to look at these things uh, in a studious way, to, to use the discipline of study, to see that there are inspiration gifts, that there are mind gifts, that there are, there are words of wisdom and words of knowledge and discerning of spirits, that there are power gifts, gifts of faith and miraculous powers and, and special gift of healing, and then that, that there are spoken gifts, there are the tongues and interpretation of tongues, and and prophecy. And so they fall in these neat three categories and we can look at them and we should break them down. However, that is not this sermon. That's not this point. What I want you to see is all of those things are for us and for our good. And they do not happen apart from the powerhouse of the body, which is the Holy Spirit. They don't happen. Now, I want you to see these two roles These two roles of the Holy Spirit, they're very important that are listed here in this passage. There's two roles. The first role is this. The Holy Spirit is the powerhouse of a revelation of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the powerhouse of a revelation of Jesus. Notice what verse 3 says. Verse 3 says, Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think many people who go to church who are, are saying, Jesus be cursed, okay? So there has to be something a little deeper. Why in the world even bring that up? I mean, he's writing this to Christians after all. Why bring it up? Well, the key is in finding out what it means, this word cursed. It is the Greek word anathema. This epistle was written to Corinthians. Corinth was filled with temples dedicated to false gods. I mean, and it was just like, it was so common. There was a God for wealth. There was a God for fertility. There was gods and temples everywhere in Corinth. It was, and notice the scripture before, verse 2, he says, somehow you were led away to mute idols. Why bring up idolatry right before all these gifts? There's a reason why he's about to tell us. He says, no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus anathema. It meant something to Corinthians for us. We just read over and keep going and say, whatever, does that, what does that mean? Anathema is a person or thing doomed to destruction and beyond redemption. Here's what it was. A binding offering to a God that was conspicuously hung on a wall or pillar. Here's what it means. So a false God, they erect a temple. And you're not doing so well. And you want wealth. You then would take some animal 
and you would bind it to this God. And by binding it to this God, you would actually kill it. And anathemas, dedicated offerings to these gods, would be hung on pillars and hung on the walls of these false temples. And you could see them hanging there, all of this dead flesh hanging on these temples. But why bring it up? Jesus, no one speaking by the Spirit of God, calls Jesus anathema. Here's why. All of the new believers in Jesus, they come to Corinth and they begin to tell this story. God sent his only son, uh, only son, and he hung on a tree, bled and died. They hear the story and they say, oh, I know what that is. Oh, this Jesus character, he was just one doomed to destruction. Just like in every other religious system. Just like every other religious system where something is dying, you know, and they were just trying to, to make their life a little bit better. Hello. They just want to make their life a little bit better, maybe a little more wealth, maybe a, a little more, you know, I want to have kids, so I'm going to have this, I'm going to sacrifice to this God and to that God and to this God, and now all of a sudden there comes this message that says, and God sends his only son, and he hangs him on a tree and dies, and he's buried and raised from the dead, and then they're like, oh, wait, 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 no, that's He's just like every other sacrifice in every other religion. I have come to tell you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a common sacrifice. We call him the only sacrifice. And there isn't a multitude of ways to get to God. There is one way. You don't call him a common sacrifice hanging on a pillar. Just another sacrifice. Just another martyr in another religious system. I promise you in this hour there is coming a voice that will say, why don't we just unite all religions? They're virtually all the same. You know what they're saying? Jesus is anathema. He's just another cursed and doomed for destruction in his little religious system. But I want to tell you, he was not beyond redemption he was redemption and i know that for those who would look on the scene of the cross and see two thieves clinging to life and one religious leader who had given his life on that cross i know that day on golgotha it must have looked like that one had failed when all along he was the one who was winning he was the one that had bought the price for all of humanity to be set free He's not a common sacrifice. And there, I promise you, there is coming in the coming days a marriage. I'm telling, I'm telling you, a false marriage between all religions of the world. It's happening already. And no one speaking by the, the Holy Spirit will call what Jesus did the same as anyone else. 
That is what this means. No one. In other words, anathema means Jesus is just another offering to another God in a religious system. And I want you to understand the role that the Spirit of God has to play when that voice creeps in from culture. The Spirit of God never says Jesus is another, another religious martyr. Notice what the Spirit of God says in John 16, 13. These are words of Jesus. He says, however, when He, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. Listen to these powerful words. He will glorify me. He will glorify me. The powerhouse of the body of Christ will glorify Jesus, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things the Father has are mine, therefore I say he will take of mine and declare it to you. The powerhouse of the body, the Holy Spirit, is giving us revelation of Jesus. Do you have a fresh glorified revelation of Jesus that comes from the person of the Holy Spirit. That's the powerhouse. Don't think that he's just another broken man. Don't think he was just a good teacher or another prophet. He wasn't. That is saying he's anathema. Oh, the powerhouse comes and he says, this is who Jesus is. It glorifies him. It glorifies it. You say, what's it mean to glorify Jesus? What's, what's it mean to glorify Jesus? It means to suddenly have the same experience that Peter, James, and John did on the Mount of Transfiguration where you thought you knew him, but you got up there and had a moment with him where the glory on the inside of Jesus comes out. And it says his face begins to shine. And these men who knew him well fall at his feet as dead. And Peter said, it's good for us to be here. Why? Because it is good to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit receiving fresh revelation of Jesus. It is good. It is good. And I want to ask you, have you been living connected to the powerhouse of the body? Have you been living with a fresh revelation of Jesus? It is there. Don't count him as common. That's what the world will do. That's what culture will do. He's not common. He is the risen Savior. And now, he says, the Holy Spirit doesn't say that, but here's what it does speak through the Christ, here, through, through the body of Christ. Here's what it speaks. Jesus is Lord. Now, we don't use those words. And you probably haven't heard them since the last time you watched Braveheart. We, we don't use those words. We don't use the word Lord. I want to use, use words that really uh, connect with our language today and quite possibly would make you uncomfortable. How about this one? Where is the song says, that says, Jesus is owner of me. He is owner. He holds the title deed of my life paid in his own blood because that is what this means. 
Lord means owner. It also means master. In the affectionate way that one sees something in another and begins to take of the knowledge and the power that is in him and then impart it to the student. That is the picture of this word Lord. And those speaking by the Spirit of God, they say Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Master. Jesus is Owner. By the way, people in, in, in our, our Spirit-filled backgrounds, we have oftentimes used this, and I didn't know this. I grew up as a little kid in a missionary Baptist church in just a little mainline church. Never seen anything like this probably until I was really in my early 20s. Uh, I, I saw someone casting out a demon, and they were asking this person, struggling to cast out this demon. They were looking at that person and say, say, Jesus is Lord. They're trying to get the person to say, Jesus is Lord. You say, why? Because no one's speaking by the Spirit of the Lord, uh, the, the Spirit of God. If they're speaking by the Spirit of God, they can say, Jesus is Lord. So that, they were kind of convinced that if that person could say it, maybe they were free, maybe they weren't. I don't know. I think it's a misapplication of this scripture. It's a total misapplication of the scripture. Just cast out the demon. Don't ask any questions. Stop that nonsense. Why do you want to talk to him? Need a friend? There's no friend like the friend we have in Jesus, okay? Stop talking to demons. Cast them out. Set them free. Do what... But this is saying, no, the body of Christ will be echoing this. This will be erupting from the powerhouse of the body. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And while I love the sound that comes from the body of Christ today, and we have been living in much of this revelation for about the last 500 years, that we know Jesus as Savior, and he certainly is. Matter of fact, he means... His own name means Yahweh is salvation. We know Jesus is Savior because we think, well, I need to go to heaven. But how many of you know you can be on your way to heaven and not make a lick of difference on the earth? And some of us have stopped trying, but when Jesus becomes owner and master and Lord, all of a sudden, I begin to say something, and the Holy Spirit gives me a revelation of who Jesus is. So I walk differently, I live differently, I live under his lordship, I am moved by him, and I see his character and nature, and then I recognize I'm his body, and continuing his influence in the world, I operate in a different way. I see the role of my life much differently. I'm not just a broken one in need of salvation, and we are. We're all broken and in need of salvation. But once we are saved, it is not the finish line. It is simply the starting gun has gone off. And the powerhouse of the cell, the powerhouse of the, the body, then wants to give us revelation of Jesus. So we say he's Lord. He is my Lord. He guides my every steps. He fills my day and fills my nights. He directs my prayers. He orders my steps. He leads me and guides me and uses me. And as I function in that revelation, it strengthens others around me. That's the first role that we see here in this passage. I love what, what happened when Jesus looked at his disciples. He said, who do men say that I am? Say some, some say John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Others say Jeremiah or another, another prophet. You know, then he looks at them and says, who do you say that I am? And then Peter speaks up. He says, I love this, Matthew 16. He says, you are the Christ. 
You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And I love verse 17. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you. Oh, you need to find yourself in God's word. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my, my, but my father in heaven. And he says, and then I call you Peter. In the Greek, it means a small stone. And then upon this rock, this large rock, Rock of what? What's the large rock? This revelation of who Jesus is. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. When the powerhouse of the body is giving the body a revelation of Jesus, the gates of hell do not prevail against the church. We live in victory when we give ourselves to the first function of the Holy Spirit, which is revelation of Jesus. It's so good. The body is blessed. You need to say, I'm blessed because I have a revelation of Jesus. You may say, I only have a little bit, but boy, you're blessed if you just have a little. If you just have a little revelation of Jesus, if you just know him as Savior, oh, you're blessed. You're favored. That word blessed, it means favored to be envied. And actually, the first definition of this word means happy. Some some of these sad faces. I don't know what you've done. But I got a revelation of Jesus. And Jesus said, when you have a revelation of me, blessed are you. Blessed are you. Blessed are you when you have heard and received the truth of who Jesus is. Blessed are you. Man, that is good. The body is blessed by a life-changing revelation of Jesus. Let me give you one more. The Holy Spirit is the powerhouse of oneness. Oh, this is so good. He is the powerhouse of oneness. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Manifestation means simply this, to make known. Okay? How many of you know the Holy Spirit is everywhere? But how many of you know there's a lot of places where they don't know he's everywhere? (laughs) Down at the bar. They don't know he's there. How can you tell from the way they're acting and what they're involved in? You know they don't know he's there. there. But there are times where the Holy Spirit makes himself known. And there are special times when the Holy Spirit makes himself known in the body. And that's actually what we're going to read. And There's a reason why he makes himself known. It's for our common good. This word is profit for all, okay? This word in the Greek is sumfero. If I were to say it like you would recognize an English word, it would be like symphero. Sounds a little bit like the word symphony. Symphony. It's actually spelled the same. Now, sumfero means... It means to bear and bring together, to collect or contribute in order to help. He says, listen, uh, the gifts or the manifestation of of the Spirit, they, they are to bear and to bind together, to collect and to offer help. Anybody ever need help? Anybody ever need God to help? I need God's help. Apart from God, I am a mess. But in him, 
I have everything I need. I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing in high places. I have everything I need. Listen, it means to bear and to bring together, to collect and contribute in order to help. You see, the, the power of the Holy Spirit, it collects us into oneness by, listen, by moving through us in various ways. Now, if you don't come from a, more of a spirit-filled background, you probably have no idea what I'm about to talk about. But we used to have something in the church called the afterglow. <laughs> Only the older saints are laughing. We're like, I don't know what the afterglow is. I have something to do with the lights. No, it does not. No. Um, when the Spirit of God would come and move in a room and people were being saved and healed and delivered and set free and the presence of God was tangible in the room. It was called the afterglow because those who wanted to leave could leave and yet those who wanted to stay stayed in the afterglow of the glory of God that was in the room. And I want to tell you that when God is moving, no one is watching the clock. I know this, I know this, because in January, when we'll do a time of fasting and prayer, and we'll have these special nights of worship and prayer, we will be worshiping God's presence inevitably, we'll be moving like a river in the house, and when the meeting's over, we have to run people off. We're like, get out. <laughs> we gotta go. But see, here's the thing. When the Spirit of God begins to move, it's for the profit of all. It collects us, it binds us, it nourishes us, and makes us one. I want you to think of this in, in a new way, because Romans 8.14 says this. It says, these are the sons of God that are led by the Spirit of God. Now, if what the Spirit does is a symphony, he then is our conductor. Have you ever been in the majesty of a moment where a symphony has been in a pit and there are these sounds that seem to be out of order and people are warming up and they are, they're, they're all doing different things and yet the conductor comes with a tiny wand and taps the music stand, a simple tap, doesn't seem very loud at all. And yet, all of the instruments then come into order. And they are what? Bound together. They are collected. And then what happens? They each begin to function as they have been created to function so that they release a sound that changes the atmosphere. And nobody is sitting down in the orchestra pit saying, since I am a sax and not a drum, I am not part of this symphony. The Holy Spirit is the conductor. And he is the one 
who binds us together and says, by the way, I want you to release this sound over here. Come on, I want you to bring it up a little louder over here. Come on, someone needs healing over here. And right in the back, come on, healing can rise. And somebody needs breakthrough, so faith needs to rise over here. And there is a concerto of a holy God that begins to be released when the body of Christ gives herself to the powerhouse of the Holy Spirit. And each one of us begins to function as God has created us to function. He says this. He says, I need a tongue over here. I need an interpretation over here. I need a prophecy over here. I need gifts of healing here. I need gifts of faith here. I need supernatural miracles here. I, I need discerning of spirits right here. Someone needs a word of knowledge. That I means a supernatural word of knowledge. They need Somebody needs a supernatural word of wisdom. And then all of these things are functioning and flowing. And a beautiful song is released that says, Jesus is king. And he is alive. And he is moving. But you can't do this. Church, you can't do this without the powerhouse of the body. The, cons the, the conductor of God's beautiful concerto on the planet. The song of redemption that is being released. You can't do it without the person of the Holy Spirit and the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. The Holy Spirit moving is for our good. And the Spirit baptism is for our oneness which, with Christ and oneness with each other. And let me give you one last thing. One of the last byproducts of beautiful oneness brought about by the Holy Spirit and the moving of His gifts. At the very end, where there's a summary of sorts in 1 Corinthians 14 where he's, he's uh, giving a, a, an explanation of what it's like when the conductor is really conducting things in order. 1 Corinthians 14, 24 says, But if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, that means following the lead of the conductor. The verse before, they were not. They wanted the gift, but they didn't want to follow his lead. They were, all, they were all speaking in tongues, and it was benefiting no one. Meaning trying to give a message from God in a language no one understood. So they're prophesying. Notice what happens. The unbeliever, the inquirer, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all. This isn't by people, by the way. They're brought under judgment, meaning like these things have been judged by God. And verse 25, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. You know what happens when the body hooks up to the powerhouse of the body? There's an awakening that takes place. People come in and they say, wait, there's a God here I didn't find in another house of worship. There's another God. There's a God here who is alive, who's moving, who's interested in me, 
who wants me, who's crafted me, who changed me, who gave himself for me. There's a God here. Why? Because I hear a song that's being led by the Holy Spirit. I see a power that's moving that doesn't originate with man and manipulation made by human invention. This is a movement of God's Spirit. It is organic in nature and it comes from an unseen realm and it moves through his body as an expression of goodness. First to sons and daughters and then to all who would look on. I want to tell you, if we want to see the awakening that we have so longed for and prayed for that many would come into relationship with Christ, it is time that you find your function is that you would give yourself to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that you would live in the place of gaining a fresh revelation of Jesus, and that you would say, Holy Spirit, I want you to be the conductor of my life. I don't care how it looks. I don't care what it, what it costs me. I don't care what other people think. I have lost on the opinions of man. It has delivered nothing. But God, I care about what you think and about how the overflow of who you are through my life can lead to the health of someone else. It is the cry that I long to hear more than any other. God is really among you. God is really among you.